0: Other portion from Acts 22 is in uh, your pew Bible on page 932. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is, re- it is re- with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit. for as you testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Fathers, we consider this portion of Scripture and, and the life of Paul and this episode in his life, God. We give thanks to you uh, for so great a salvation. Lord, thank you that you sought after us that the Lord Jesus Christ himself purchased us at the price of his own blood. Thank you, Lord. We'll spend the rest of our lives in eternity praising and worshiping and thanking you for that. Lord, well, we thank you for your providence. That is, Paul's life and our own oftentimes are filled with obstacles and enemies and troubles, it seems. You have a plan, and you tell us it's a good plan and has a future there's a hope with that plan and we thank you for that lord god pray that we would grow in faith in regard to trusting you in that plan and lastly today father i just thank you that that you have a testimony in and through our lives and like the apostle paul we have an opportunity to testify daily of your great salvation of your great plan And we can testify to our brothers and sisters in Christ that they might be encouraged and edified. We can testify to a lost and dying world, God, as ambassadors of reconciliation. Lord, we love you today and thank you. As always, God, pray that you'd give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. Lord, just strengthen us in our faith. Encourage us as we hear the word of God today that we'd be built up uh, for your call. We love you in Christ's name, amen.
1: I have the the joyous privilege, I think it's outside of preaching, the thing I enjoy the most about, um, or yeah, I'd say I think I enjoy it the most out of pastoring, is being able to hear the testimonies of how people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And I get to do that on a fairly regular basis as you join the church, that's one of the things I ask you to do is tell me how did you come to faith in Christ, and you articulate though testifying or the testimony of God's saving grace in your life. And then in that, I get to ask people, okay, well, if you had six, 60 seconds, two minutes or so to give me the gospel of Jesus Christ, or someone came to you and said, listen, I'm, I've heard of this thing called Jesus, um, what's that all about? Or someone comes to you and said, man, I just, I really messed up last night. Well, is there any hope for me? And you had a few minutes to tell people the gospel. What would you say? And you, all of you, many of you have articulated for me what that is. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you all have a, a little bit of different way of how you start it. And you, and you walk through what the gospel is. And what I find interesting is whether you've been saved six months or 60 years, everybody's nervous about that question. If you had 60 seconds, two minutes to, t- to give me the gospel of Jesus Christ, what would you say? And they all, am I going to pass? Am I going to make it? <laughs> is he you going to let me in? The forgotten doctrine, as we've said oftentimes, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because folks will, will say, well, You know, I was a sinner, God created the world, sin came into the world. I'm paraphrasing, right, all along the line, God sent Jesus Christ, His Son, died on the cross for our sins, that's great. And sometimes, it's growing less and less, but sometimes I'll have to say, and what's our hope? Oh, He rose again on the third day. Right. There's our hope the center of the gospel if you will the bullseye of the gospel the balance point of the gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ it's it's all right at at its greatest peak of glory if you will It's, it's where everything is crescendoing to and launching us from and it is our hope despite what the world is doing around us, Christians have hope that is far and above beyond whatever's going on around us, whatever we could manufacture in our day. We have hope because Christ has been raised. And we find in that resurrection encouragement. Certainly Paul does. In our, in our text today, verse 11, if you were noticing there, as Rich read the word, Paul Hearing from the Lord, take courage. This is the resurrected, ascended Jesus Christ in his glory, encouraging Paul. Paul finds encouragement from the Lord when he stands for Christ on the center of the gospel, the direct, direct death and resurrection of Christ. We find encouragement. We find continued hope in our own lives when we stand for Christ on the center of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, I don't know if you've, how much you've been with us in our study of Acts, so if you will, before we begin, let's just, let's just take a few steps backward or left in your Bible. Look at chapter 21. This is a, this is a phenomenal story. It's the Christian life uh, coming into technicolor, if you will. It, it's very vivid. This is a real-life situation, a real-life person, real-life places, real-life beatings, real-life words. This is someone who's standing and believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can learn a lot from the Apostle Paul here. Just by way of reminder, look at verse 27 of chapter 21. Uh, Paul is arrested in the temple. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He's arrested in the temple. And why is he arrested? Verse 28, the men of Israel help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law. This man is a lawbreaker. That's why he's arrested, but that's not really the reason why he's arrested. We know that. If you jump ahead to verse 37, we'll remember Paul has the opportunity to address the Jews. And he testifies of his Jewish lineage. You see that in verse 3 of chapter 22. Of his zeal, of his salvation through Christ, and of his calling into gospel ministry to the Gentiles. In fact, I think it's even helpful for us. Let's go back in our Bibles to chapter 9. Go with me to chapter 9 of Acts. Let's just be reminded of what is taking place, that what is taking place in Paul's life here in chapter 22 and 23 is just the fulfillment of God's word to him. Chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, Christ again coming to Paul after Paul's conversion But the Lord said to him, verse 15, go, maybe you can think in your mind, Matthew 28, the great commission. This is Paul being commissioned like the other apostles were. Here's Paul, the 13th apostle being commissioned. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is Christ speaking to Ananias, telling Ananias, go. Tell Paul he's going to go. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now go back to chapter 22 in your Bibles, and Paul is doing just that, suffering for the name of Christ. Let's pick up where we left off last week, looking at verse 22. Paul has just given his testimony. He's given them Uh, the fact that christ has commissioned him go verse 21 for i will send you far away to the gentiles up to this word they listened to him then they raised their voices and said away with such a fellow from the earth for he shall not be allowed to to live and and then you can just see how the story unfolds a riot ensues Uh, people are picking up dust and throwing it into the air and waving cloaks shouting Why? They, they were good with Paul's testimony up until verse 21. Why? Pastor John Stott in his commentary on Acts is helpful here. Let me quote from him. He says this, In their eyes, that is the Jews' eyes, proselytism, that is making Gentiles into Jews, was fine. But evangelism, making Gentiles into Christians without first making them Jews, was was an abomination. It was tantamount to saying that Jews and Gentiles were equal, for they both needed to come to God through Christ, and that on identical terms. He's right. That's why they're so mad. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean the Gentiles, of who we believe are detestable, can come to God through Christ, and that they don't have to go through the Jewish system? just like we can come to God through Christ? And they get quite upset. Now, we, we have been introduced to this tri- tribune, verse 24. Uh, let's give them a name. The Bible does. We should recognize it. 26, verse 33, I believe is the text you should look for there. There is no 26, so you won't be able to find that there. But if you did, you might see that this man's name is Claudius Lysias. Let me see if I can find where this text is. He writes verse 26 of chapter 23. I had him switched around there. Verse, chapter 23, verse 26, Claudius Lysias. That's the tri- tribune. Uh, th- this is the, uh, the behind-the-scenes character, if you will. He's in every main shot, but he's just off in the shadows you got to feel for this guy. Uh, he has tried questioning to figure out what is going on with this man, Paul. That's in chapter 21, verse 33. Remember the Jews? They get all upset, and so the tribune comes and arrests him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done, and he can't get any answer. And here a, a riot is incited in verse 22 and following of our text in chapter 22. And so Claudius decides, well, questioning didn't work. Let's try flogging. That's what takes place. The tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. Verse 25, while they were stretching him out on for the whips. Roman scourging uh, was legendary, is legendary for its brutality. Uh, you'd have a, a, long, a number of long leather cords. You'd have metal or bone fragments tied to the very end. It would be connected all together by a short wooden stout handle. And the goal would be to beat this individual merciless. Uh, to drive from him a confession. If you didn't die from the flogging, you were probably crippled for life. Uh, this is no slight matter that's taking place. And yet, right before this happens, the tension's mounting. Paul is stretched out in order to be beaten. And you can imagine him, his hands are tied, feet are tied, back is exposed. He turns his head and he looks at the, the guard right there and says, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And the whole place goes into uproar. whoa 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 whoa, this is a roman citizen i thought we were beating a jew paul is a jew but he's also a roman citizen and it was wrong for rome to beat their own citizens without some sort of trial So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, yes. And he seems to believe Paul. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, I'm a citizen by birth. Claudius had bought his citizenship. There were a few ways then to obtain citizenship. That looks much like today in many countries. You could get it by birth. Paul's father passing on his citizenship down. You could get it by right or you could get it by bribe. And Claudius apparently had gotten it by bribe. That is, he had paid a large sum of money to be able to get his citizenship in a corrupt place. So he immediately recognizes that he's in very hot water. He had obtained his through all sorts of inappropriate means, Paul's got his by way of birth. So those who were bound to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen, and then he had bound him. You may remember in Acts sixteen when Paul was in Philippi. Paul was beaten there, he was imprisoned there, and at the very end of all that situation does Paul claim his Roman citizenship. Here yet again he does the same thing. Why is Paul not claiming his Roman citizenship when he's being arrested in chapter twenty one? Why waiting till the seemingly 11th hour? I think we must recognize that Paul is not looking for an easy way out. He wouldn't have been wrong to declare his Roman citizenship first, but why now? Is it that he doesn't want to be beaten, which would be a pretty good reason? but I don't think that's it at all and in fact I think scripture bears out here in the following verses exactly why he reveals the citizenship here and not before let's look at this second section here Paul and the law this is in first verse 30 and following the story continues the next day there's a scene shift if you will Claudius is still looking for answers He's tried questioning. He's tried almost flogging. Let's try trial by the Sanhedrin. The real, wise, real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And notice what takes place. Paul begins speaking and there's this confrontation. Who's the characters at play? Well, the high priest Ananias is one. Josephus the historian for the Jews describes Ananias as a quote great hoarder of money he even quote took away the ties that belonged to the priest by violence close quote his whole whole rule was fraught with controversy he was a man who would even die at the hand of Jewish zealots in AD 66 this is not a good man Paul begins speaking. Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Whack! Slapped across the face, punched in the mouth, whatever you want to say happens. Notice how Paul responds. This is a unique situation here. And I'll be honest and say, I'm not entirely sure how to interpret what's happening in verse 3, and all the study I've done doesn't tell me much either. Why does Paul respond this way? Why does Paul respond in verse 5 in the way he does? Notice what happens here. He gets struck. The high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall are you sitting to judge me according to the law and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck those who stood by said would you revile God's high priest and Paul said I didn't know brothers that he was the high priest for it is written you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people you should know Paul is quoting Old Testament verse after Old Testament verse here he knows the law Maybe he's thinking Deuteronomy 25, 1 through 2. If there is a dispute between men and they come into the court and the judges decide between them, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty, then if the guilty man deserves to be beaten, the judge shall cause him to lie down and be beaten in his presence with a number of stripes in proportion to his offense. And yet here Paul is being beaten before he's being shown to be guilty or not guilty. Leviticus 19 15 you shall do no injustice in court you shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great what's taking place here why is Paul responding to this way maybe a more important question first of all is to ask why is Ananias responding this way Uh, Paul doesn't even get past the opening statement hello slap what did he say Matthew 23, 27 to 28, maybe Paul's remembering the words of Christ. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful. We know Paul, whatever he's doing here, he's defending himself by way of, quote, a good conscience. What does he say in 2 Timothy 1.3? I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Ananias seems to think Paul's claim of serving God with a good conscience is blasphemous. Paul is simply saying, I'm still a good Jew. That seems blasphemous to Ananias, so he has him struck. Uh, J.A. Alexander Commentator on this passage, uh, he describes or, or fills out, if you will, what Paul says. He says, Paul is essentially saying this quote, You command me to be smitten. But a far worse stroke from God himself awaits you, the unworthy claimant of an office once ordained by God, but now itself a mere mask and disguise of human corruption under the name and garb of institutions which have done their office and are soon to vanish even from the sight of men. Paul is responding very strongly to what is taking place here. We could see some comparisons between Christ being struck in his final hours and how he responds to what Paul is doing here. Does Paul not recognize that the man who gave this order is the high priest? Is he innocent of that? Is he mocking him? Some have said his poor eyesight, he wouldn't have been able to actually see who it was. Maybe it was the clamor, the chaos, couldn't hear who actually said strike him. We don't know. I'm not sure we will ever know on this side of heaven. It's an unusual situation. It is certainly building tension because now he has been struck and now he has been forcefully rebelling, quote unquote, against the high priest, what's going to take place at this point. Before we move on, what Paul is doing here is certainly bold. and We need to recognize that God raises up those throughout and has has raised up and will continue to raise up those throughout church history who he has given grace to be very very bold in the face of of maybe some of the most tense situations Paul is certainly doing that here you can study church history and one of the people that might come to mind for you or that you can read about came to mind to me this morning was the testimony of John Knox and his conversation That you can read about with Mary, Queen of Scots. She was known as Bloody Mary because she burned Protestants by the hundreds. And she had great power, even to put Knox to death, and they had conversation. And you can read of what he actually said. Go do it. The man is not mincing his words, he's bold to proclaim Christ. John Knox was even asked of his own judgment what he thought of the queen. When you were there, John, what did you think of her? This is what he said. If there be not in her, said he, a proud mind, a crafty wit, and an enduring heart against God and his truth, my judgment faileth me. That's a good way to get your head removed back in those days. God equips those who stand in the most tense situations for the cause of Christ. But notice one of, the grace, one of the means of grace he's given Paul and that he gives us as well is the grace of a clear conscience during times of opposition to our witness for Christ, which then begs the question, do you have a clear conscience? What is that? What is a clear conscience? It's this ability to look back upon your, your life, your situation, and recognize that there is nothing that has not been dealt with before God. Uh, so maybe there's habitual sin in your life. And even as I'm saying that, you know, what? Well, yes, I've been looking at the things I shouldn't be looking at. I've been saying the things I shouldn't be saying. I've been enjoying the things I shouldn't be enjoying. And I haven't dealt with those things. Right. I haven't made those right with the people that I've offended or I've offended God with. And that's, that's, a bad, that's, a, that's a good conscience convicting you. What do you do with that? Well, you confess your sin. You repent of it. You acknowledge it as wrong before God. You look to the work of Jesus Christ who covered even that sin and you turn from it and walk in obedience to him. Paul has a clear conscience When we're called to stand for Jesus Christ, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's on the ball field, whether it's in the pew, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's at the home, wherever it is, having the ability to know that I'm dealing with this person honestly, I'm dealing with this person graciously, I've sought to deal with this rightly before God and His glory, gives you the ability to say what you need to say about the work of Jesus Christ. Paul hasn't used sinful means to get himself to this position. But he's been following the Lord. We should also note here in this section that if we are opposed for following Christ, we should keep our conversation on Christ and not on ourselves. That, that's the temptation here. What, what, why is Paul wrong? And Paul's trying to continually shift the conversation to who is Jesus Christ. Now note what takes place. Verse 6 through verse 9. Paul perceives that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees and he cried out in the council. Now I think this is a, a very, very u- unique turn of events. Paul has been struck he said some very inflammatory words in response. The, the tension's growing. What's going to happen? And he looks out into the council and he sees, ah, there's five, there's 10. Oh, there's, oh, it's, we're split. We got Pharisees and Sadducees. Paul knows that these differ. Sadducees did not believe in the general resurrection from the dead. They held strongly to the Pentateuch as written not as the oral Torah as proposed by the Pharisees. They did not believe in angels and spirit. Pharisees, they were pragmatic. They were, if you will, works-based salvation. They believed in angels and spirits. They believed in a future resurrection, but they did not accept the resurrection of Jesus. The Pharisees would have accepted the idea of the vision of Christ in the temple that Paul told us about, the Sadducees would not have and look what Paul says brothers I am a Pharisee a son of Pharisees it is with respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial why does Paul claim his Roman citizenship then and not before or now and not before it's because he wants to get to Rome he wants people to know everyone to know it's not for breaking the law it's because of the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial what takes place when he said this another dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided for the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection nor angel nor spirit but the Pharisees acknowledged them all then a great clamor arose and some of the scribes of the Pharisees stood up and contended sharply we find nothing wrong in this man What if an angel or a spirit, spirit or an angel spoke to him? And who's in the background? Claudius. Oh, here we go again. Number three. Tried questioning. Tried flogging. Tried examination. Got to rescue this guy again. That's all I'm doing these days. Where's the truth? Why is he really here? Why do the Jews really hate him? And he doesn't believe he's getting the truth, but in fact, he is getting the truth. It is being declared. It is for this reason. What reason? To the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Well, finally, our section ends with a vision by Christ, a vision of Christ, verse 10 and 11. When the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, "Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify. You must testify also in Rome." Can you imagine the early church reading this story. First time, they've read the Book of Acts. It's being read out loud to them, maybe in a house church setting, and they and they read verse eleven. Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And and maybe what they would have been thinking, I believe what they would have been thinking is simply this. Paul's desired accusation for getting to Rome is approved by God. Paul wants to know, Paul wants the world to know, if I'm going to Rome, I'm going for the hope and resurrection and not for law-breaking and that's approved by God Christ comes and says yes yes a couple things on this final section and then we'll be done first of all brothers and sisters recognize the Lord is on our side in the darkest of nights in the most difficult of days for those in Christ the Lord never abandons us the Lord is on our side This is what God wants us to know about himself and how he deals with his people. Jacob, if you remember in Genesis 28 verse 15, has a dream and this is what God tells him, behold I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Moses' final words to Israel at the end of his life says this, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. We could go through the New Testament and see God reiterating that to his people now through Christ. We can go all the way forward to that final day. Revelation 21, verse 1 through 4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Why did Christ ascend? So that the Holy Spirit could come and dwell in us. And so we have the ability like Paul, to walk through these difficult days of ours, knowing God is for us. He is with us. Why is that? Well, that's the second thing I want to remind you of this morning. If the first was the Lord is on our side, the second one is this. The resurrection is fundamental to Christianity. Or if you will, the resurrection is the hope of Christianity. Paul says it well, you know this text, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Your faith is worthless. Your faith is a waste of time. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is no resurrection, there's no point in this. Paul says, but if there is resurrection, oh man, everything changes. We have hope. What is our hope? We read it in Revelation 24. What's coming? Resurrection, eternal life. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away you don't think Paul's thinking that he knows what it is to be flogged he's been flogged numerous times he's been stoned he's, he's gone through all sorts of difficult things for the cause of Jesus Christ and you don't think that the resurrection you've got to think that the resurrection is his hope in the midst of all of this knowing this is all going to go away one day We will see our Savior's face as Paul even sees it here in verse 11. It is the resurrected, ascended Christ in the flesh that he sees in verse 11. It is the resurrected, ascended Christ that we will see in the flesh one day. Our Savior now even alive and reigning and ruling that is awaiting us. The one who is our friend and is our Lord. I wonder this morning, do you believe... In Jesus being raised from the dead. Do you believe that? Well, I, I've heard of that. It's like one of those religious stories, right? One of those fairy tale things or made up things that sounds pretty good, kind of like Jonah, big fish, or something like that. No and the ark. Do you believe in Jesus being raised from the dead? Do you know it's an actually. It, it's an historically accurate fact. It's not just the Bible that says that Jesus was raised from the dead. Historians, people that have lots of degrees, go read that attest to the fact that there was a man named Jesus who was raised from the dead. This isn't a made-up thing. I didn't show up and say, hey, you know, listen, i got to tell these people a story this morning because we got 45 minutes. no. This is real. This really happened. Do you believe in Jesus being raised from the dead? And and if I could, if you don't believe, can I argue for you that one and only the Bible says that it is, and it's God's word. God's never lied. But if you don't believe believe that, then you're wasting your time reading history because you've decided to throw out some history and hold other parts of history. Uh, You're good with maybe reading about World War II and believing whatever happened there, but you won't believe about what happened with this man named Jesus why would I ask you do you believe if Jesus was raised from the dead because if he was raised from the dead you have to ask the question why did he die what were his claims who did he say he was was it just some random dude oh no he was not he was unlike and yet like us he was the son of God. He is the son of God who took on flesh. Why did he take on flesh? To pay the death penalty for sinners like you and me. If he, if he was raised from the dead and he had to die for sin, are you convinced that your sin needs to be paid for? Notice Paul in his situation here, if you will. He's on trial. He's being falsely accused. You don't see anybody standing up in the jury section saying, hey, whoa, 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 you guys have gone a little too far here. I'm on Paul's side. I was there. I know what's going on. No, there's no one standing for Paul except for Jesus Christ. Just like Stephen. Stephen if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you don't believe that he had to die on the cross to pay the death penalty for your sin, my sin, and you one day die, of which we all will, and we stand before God, and he's judging us and what we've done, good and bad, who's going to support you when you're rightly accused? of your sin. Because that's what's going to happen on my day. That's what happened on your day. You get up there and you're not going to be like, hey, hey, yeah, I did these five things. No, it's going to be, I got nothing. Except for him. You got Christ who's saying, I'll stand for that one. He's mine I think it should be noted here. Nothing is more frustrating to the powers of darkness than a convinced believer indwelt by the Holy Spirit who no matter the opposition won't quit knowing the victory was secured for him by the blood of Jesus at the cross. These guys can't get him because he's not going to give up. You got to kill Paul to silence this man. And he doesn't care. Take my life. <laughs> I get resurrection. I get eternal life. You can't beat a man like that. The title of the passage. The title of the sermon this morning, Courage for a Clear Witness. Are you lacking courage for fighting sin and portraying to the lost world a clear witness of a changed sinner by the blood of Christ? Are you weary of doubt and unbelief? Are you discouraged by the weight of a lost world and a sinful heart? How does the resurrection, how does the hope of the resurrection help you today, help us this week? And simply this, it causes us, it causes you to look forward, but it also equips you in dealing with sin. If you have died with Christ, Paul says in Romans, you've been raised with Christ, His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. Sin no longer has the hold it once had on you. You've been given the mind of Christ. We're to exercise our minds and focus on truth. We are equipped by the power of the Spirit to take captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. That's how the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection helps us, is there's actually a tomorrow tomorrow. There's a better day coming. And there's been grace given now to deal with today in preparation for tomorrow. But it starts, it starts with the recognition by the grace of God of the power of the resurrection. And if you haven't paused long enough or lately... To remind yourself of that, then sink yourself into 1 Corinthians 15. Sink yourself into the end of the Gospels. Sink yourself into the power of the resurrection and recognize what is there for you. We find encouragement from our Lord when we stand, when we think, when we meditate, when we consider Christ, when we consider for Christ, when we center our thinking on Christ. On the center of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and the glory of. Christ being raised from the dead and what that means for our own lives. Our Savior is not in the grave. He has ascended. He is sitting at the right hand of your throne. And Father, because of his resurrection, we too one day will rise. But way more glorious than just the opportunity to live is the recognition that when we rise we have Christ who has mediated for us who has interceded for us on our behalf and you our holy God look upon your son and then upon us Father it is to that resurrected hope of christ that we cling for without it what is what what hope do we have in the midst of our sin but in it oh we have not just hope for today but hope for all of eternity father we thank you for the joy of being able to be and worship together this morning we thank you for the joy of being able to read and study your word together we pray that you would um Apply it as needed for our own hearts. We thank you for your spirit and the way he guides us and directs us and comforts us unto and with all truth. Help us this day, even as we go from here. In the precious and holy name of Christ we pray, amen.